uh, page 325. We're clearly not going to go through every detail uh, of this text, but it does hold together, uh, and we will find great comfort through its message. I wonder if you're someone who suffers from a lingering guilt, a guilt that might go back a long time, that you've just never been able quite to throw off, Um, or a a shame about something uh, that you just can't get rid of, uh, something about you. Uh, You might be somebody who's been badly wronged or betrayed in the past, Uh, And it's just not really been properly sorted out. And it's been addressed in some way. At some level, it's been acknowledged. But it's not been sorted out properly. And that hums along uh, through your life. Um, Cheerily, um, I wonder if you've thought about your inevitable demise. Um, (laughs) Sue has. That's why she prays so well. Um, Change and decay in all around, I see. Uh, Tooth decay in my case. Thanks for letting everybody know about that, Sue. Um, But my life will peter out at some point. That's never going to... We might try and ignore it, and we might try all sorts of ways of pretending it's not coming, but there is an inevitability about our demise. You might be pretty comfortable in life, well provided for. As everybody looks at you, life is okay. Uh, But actually there's a general sadness that you hold, which people may not know about, but which you know about. Lots of all these sorts of things can lie around relationships that we have. Because there isn't that unity, that oneness, that perfect living together that we can imagine, but we can never quite achieve or experience. That peace and joy in all of life. But these things are around us. So we come to uh, 2 Samuel chapter 19. Um, David has had a great kingdom in Jerusalem. Uh, Back in chapter 8, it was said this, David reigned over all Israel, doing what was just and right for all his people. That was the high point of his kingdom. Everything had come together in Jerusalem. David reigned over all Israel, doing what was just and right for all his people. But since the king himself failed to do what was just and right and committed adultery with Bathsheba and all the fallout from that we've been seeing in these previous chapters, that kingdom has been in disarray. Absalom launched his rebellion. I will be king. And so two camps... As James was telling us last week, Machanaim, two camps, have developed in the land. 
David is on the run with those loyal to him. Absalom, the other camp. But last week we saw victory and justice came on Absalom. Might not have been quite the way we'd have done it, but justice and victory came. The threat of Absalom has gone. So here is David. And as we come to chapter 19, it's that coming back to Jerusalem, having run away. Will everything be restored? Will it again be a great united kingdom where David reigns over all Israel doing what was just and right for all his people? Will it be back to one great united kingdom under David? My, um, my you know, the th- autocorrect. Kept wanting to capitalise U and K. That's not what we're talking about, okay? Uh, back to one great united kingdom under David. And in verses 9 to 15, the first section of uh, what Helen read to us, those two camps persist. Uh, it's not a ringing endorsement of David. The, 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 the Israelite camp who'd been following um, uh, Absalom, they kind of think, well, we might have to resort to having David back. You know, it's not like the first option. We thought there were better ones, but Absalom's gone. David wasn't a bad king, so we're going to have to resort to having David back. Judah, uh, David's tribe and the tribe that the king would come from, they haven't even thought about getting David back. David has to suggest to them that they might want their king back. Two camps still persist. And you can see David trying to bring a unity back to the nation because he chooses Amasa to be commander of the army. Verse 13, and say to Amasa, are you not my own flesh and blood? May God deal with me, be ever so severely, if you're not the commander of my army for life in place of Joab. Amasa had been the commander of Absalom's rebel forces. And David is inviting Amasa to come and be commander of one unified army under David. David is seeking, he's trying to move back towards one great united kingdom. And that's one of the stories that these passages keep, this, the um, passage this morning keeps raising. This question of moving back. What will this restoration be like? And we're going to discover that David simply cannot pull it off. He cannot bring the restoration that's needed. But what that's going to reveal to us is how amazingly Jesus Christ brings a kingdom. David can't pull it off, but the Lord Jesus Christ does beyond our expectations. So David starts moving, he gets as far as the Jordan, coming back into the um, promised land, and he meets three people. Firstly, he meets Shimei. Now, we met met Shimei before, uh, and he is a full-on rebel. It's quite a comical scene. Um, uh, David was walking down the road, and Shimei, like like a little kid, is up on the bank, running alongside, chucking stones at him, telling him that he's telling him that he's no good. Well, Shimei, when David comes back, Shimei comes and he confesses. 
his sins. Verse 20, For I, your servant, know that I have sinned, but today I've come here. And David, uh, well, Abishai, who's uh, the brother of Joab, uh, true to the family form, um, shouldn't Shimei be put to death for this? He's cursed the Lord's anointed. And David says, no. Should anyone be put to death in Israel today, don't I know that today I am king over Israel? So the king said to Shimei, you shall not die. And the king promised him on oath. There's an emphasis here on the today. Uh, Shimei will not die whilst David is king. He won't die on that day and he won't die any day when David is king. But when David is gone, David will ask, will tell Solomon to, to deal with Shimei and Shimei will die. So all that David is really able to offer to Shimei is a stay of execution. Now that could be worse. You know, Abishai could have got his way. But David offers a stay of execution. Here's a verse from the New Testament that Shimei would have loved. Shimei's confessed his sins. He's owned up. He's come as a servant to David. He said that I've sinned. Here's a verse that would have been better than David's oath for Shimei. Since we have now been justified by his blood, that's the blood of Christ shed on the cross, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him when the Lord Jesus Christ returns? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? There's nothing temporary about the restoration, the forgiveness that the Lord Jesus Christ comes. All that David could offer Shimei was a stay of execution, a temporary forgiveness, if you like. But the king who followed David, who died on the cross, he bore away guilt and shame so that it would never return. Having been put right with God, having been justified and forgiven, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through the Lord Jesus Christ? David couldn't deliver that. Shimei would die under Solomon. All that David could offer was a stay of execution. In that sense, Shimei's guilt and shame stayed with him through all those years. It lingered on and it came back when David had died. But our guilt and shame never comes back to bite us. However, heavier burden it might feel to you it never comes back to bite us if you've trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ how much more shall we be saved then from God's wrath
only a stay of execution for Shimei, um, only partial restoration for Mephibosheth. Uh, back in chapter 16, you might remember, as David ran out of Jerusalem, away from Absalom, Zeba, who was Mephibosheth's uh, chief steward, looked after him in the household. Uh, okay, Mephibosheth was crippled, he couldn't walk for himself. So Zeba came and met David as David fled. Mephibosheth stuck in Jerusalem because he can't move. Uh, Zeba comes and meets David, and Zeba says, Mephibosheth has been disloyal. He's going with Absalom. He's reckoning if he stays in Jerusalem, he'll get a better deal when Absalom arrives. And so God gives everything that, uh, David gives everything that belongs to Mephibosheth to Zeba, the chief steward. Move on a few. And now David's coming back after Absalom has fallen, and Mephibosheth comes to meet him. Somebody must have carried him comes to meet him, and Mephibosheth, that was all a lie from Zeba. I was completely loyal the whole time. And you think, oh, well, that's simple, isn't it? What would you do? I know what I'd do. I'd take everything off Zeba and give it back to Mephibosheth. But bizarrely, and when you read it, you think, this does, that's not right. Look what David does. Uh, all my grandfather, where, where's he said? <laughs> 28, thank you. All my grandfather's descendants deserve nothing but death from my Lord the King, but you gave me your servant a place among those who eat at your table. So what right do I have to make any more appeals to the King? The King said to him, why say more? I order you and Zeba to divide the land. Now I don't know what David's reasons are for that. But that does not sound to me like proper justice for Mephibosheth. As you read it, you think, that's not right. It should be more than that. But David, for whatever reason, the position he's in, the weakness of the kingdom that he's trying to restore, is unable to deliver proper justice. Even to Mephibosheth, who doesn't really want anything back. All he wants is the king. Mephibosheth said, let him take everything. Let Zeba have everything. Now that my lord the king has returned home safely. Mephibosheth wants David more than anything, and even he can't receive full justice from the hand of David. Only partial restoration for Mephibosheth. Well, look what the Lord Jesus promises. God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. Mephibosheth would have loved that, wouldn't he? He will give relief to you who are troubled. Betrayed as he had been, very badly treated by Zeba, the Lord Jesus promises relief on that last day. It might be messy along the way. This will happen, though, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven, blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will come and put everything right. Nobody will have a sense of injustice when we're with Christ in the heavenly kingdom. No sense of injustice about anything 
that's been done to them or to somebody else. Everything will be put. David couldn't deliver that. But the Lord Jesus Christ does. Well, that's Shimei and Mephibosheth. Uh, Barzillai, well, he only goes home to die. Barzillai's been totally loyal. And he's given service to the king out of his great wealth. He has been your ideal follower of the king. But there's not really anything David can do for him in Jerusalem. Uh, Apologies to those who who might be in your 80s, but I'm now 80 years old, he says. Can I tell the difference between what is enjoyable and what is not? Can I taste? Can I hear? His senses are, are diminishing. He is literally petering out his inevitable demise. So when you read verse uh, 39, you want to put some words as you read this little section, you get to 39. The king kissed Barzillai and bade him farewell, and Barzillai returned to his home. For what? To die. The king can't do anything about that. The king can't take him to Jerusalem and make it any better. The king can't reward his loyalty as even as he might want to. He just goes back to die. Even in that, Barzillai still gives. He gives his servant in the service of the king, but still the king can't save Barzillai from his imminent death. Here are some words for Barzillai from the New Testament. But our citizenship is in heaven. That's where our life is hidden, if you remember the Colossians series. And we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. It's augmented a little bit in the communion service. Who will transform our frail and mortal bodies and will Uh, to be like his glorious resurrection body. David can't deliver that to Barzillai. Barzillai just has to go home and die. But the better king, the king who is for, uh, (laughs) it must be attractive to all of us, given our, our inevitable demise. Well, the Lord Jesus Christ can raise us with new bodies suitable for an eternity. Not like these bodies. I don't know about yours, but my body is not suitable for eternity. It's not going to last. But that's what a glorious resurrection body is. You'll never lose your taste or your hearing or your sight or anything like that. Your senses will never diminish. It'll be more glorious than we can imagine. It'll be better even than when you're at your very fittest. David can't deliver that. Only going home to die for Barzillai. Is this one great united kingdom under David? Is it being restored? It falls short. It falls short even of what David managed before. Because of his sin. 
it falls short. David can't do it, but the Lord Jesus can. Now, in the last uh, three verses of uh, chapter 19, I wonder if verse 43 is the longest verse in the Bible. It's like nine lines long. But anyway, um, verses uh, 40, it's the last four verses. Uh, We still... This question of whether it's a united kingdom is raised again. Because you've got the men of Israel and the men of Judah arguing about who has the greatest share in David and the kingdom's not united at all. (coughs) And then Sheba in chapter 20, he exploits these two camps and says, this is no good. I'm going to be king of the Israelite camp. So as David's coming back and he's, he's he's not... uh, he's not really delivering as Christ delivers. So the two camps persist. There's a disunity in the land and Sheba exploits that and we'll come back to that right at the end of chapter 20. But that's still there. There's not really a unity that's being achieved. Um, Then we meet the concubines. These were the concubines that David left in place in the palace, whom Absalom uh, publicly uh, shamed. Um, And David can only deliver a sad safety for them. He does what he he can, uh, verse 3 of chapter 20. He does what he can. Um, He provides for them. He keeps them safe. But the last, of the, the last bit of verse 3 is sad. They were kept in confinement till the day of their death, living as widows. A strong note of sadness. It's hardly any kind of deliverance for them, is it? As they've waited in Jerusalem and as, as, as Absalom had his way and now David's coming back and all he can do is leave them in confinement until the day of their death. Only sad safety for the concubines. How much better these. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. Though you've not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Whatever faith the concubines had in David, they're not not receiving salvation. Nor are they experiencing inexpressible and glorious joy. But the greater king than David can deliver that, even now, because of the hope and the inheritance that is to come. Even though we don't see the Lord Jesus now, Peter says we have an inexpressible and glorious joy. David can't bring this great kingdom And he can't unite it. Well, 
Joab steps in to sort it all out. Now, we've met Joab a few times in these chapters, and he has a great way of um, uh, making his own plan to do a good thing. But his plans are not usually great, although he does have good motive. Joab wants a great united king, kingdom under David. That's what Joab wants. He wants the right thing. But he goes about it his own way. Now, we're not going to spend much time in this bit of the story, but Amasa is not going to get things done. He's too slow. So David sends some others, and that includes Joab. So Joab's usual solution, Amasa's too slow. I know what we'll do. We'll stab him. So that's what Joab does. Kills him. Well, people who don't get stuff done, you just have to get them out of the way. That's Joab's whole approach. Um, can't say that. Right. Um, so, and then, and then Joab has the audacity to say, whoever favours Joab and whoever is for David, let him follow Joab. Now, you see his good motive there. He wants David to be king but he knows that the only way it can possibly happen is if they follow Joab too. He wants to stand with David. Anyway, Amasa's body becomes a bit of a, a, an obstacle to this plan. So rather than have Amasa lying in the middle of the road, they throw him over the hedge, out of the way, cover him up, and then Joab gets the job done with Sheba. There's an interesting thing going on in 2 Samuel with Joab and wise women. But we don't have time for that now. But he gets the job done. Sheba is dead. The threat of the leader of the second camp has gone. David can be king. That's what Joab wants. And so we go back to Jerusalem in verses 23 to 26. Now you think, okay, so the the, the rebellion has been thwarted again. Surely now, back in Jerusalem, we we'll see the restoration of the kingdom. Now, you might have thought those last uh, couple of verses, those last four verses of chapter 20 were a bit odd, just a list of who was the secretary and who was, who was um, doing whatever. But it's actually a repeat, or sort of a repeat, of what was said back in chapter 8. Do you remember I quoted at the beginning... Uh, Chapter 8, verse 15, which said, David reigned over all Israel, doing what was just and right for all his people. Well, those verses go on. Joab, son of Zeruiah, was over the army. Jehoshaphat, son of Ahilud, was recorder. Zadok, son of Ahitub, and Ahimelech, son of Abiathar, were priests. Sariah was secretary. Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, was over the Kerithites and the Palathites, and David's sons were priests. That was the summary of the high point of David's kingdom back in 2 Samuel chapter 8. And you get a very similar list here as David has come back to Jerusalem. But the differences are important. There is no verse that says David reigned over all Israel doing what was just and right for all the people. That's missing. The writer's left it out because that's not the situation. Joab is still commander of the entire army. That's never been a good thing in David's kingdom. There's an addition to the list at the end of chapter 20. Adoniram was in charge of forced labor. 
When do you need forced labour? When there's no unity. It's an interesting thought, isn't it? You guys are such, I, I think we experience an enormous amount of unity here, which is why we don't have to slave drive as leaders. Not forced labour, but where there's unity, there is service of one another freely. Well, not so in Israel at this restoration. Forced labour was needed. And David's priest is not a son of Aaron or from the tribe of Levi. All is not well. In fact, it's a hollow unity at the end of chapter 20. Here's a verse for people who were living in David's kingdom at that time. This is the kingdom that the Lord Jesus brings. There's no hollow unity here, but only a fullness that we can hardly imagine. This is in chapter 7 in Revelation. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. Not two camps, but a great multitude. Before the throne, the king is there, before the lamb. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. There are those who have come out of the great tribulation. You can imagine people in David's kingdom saying, I wish we could get out of this tribulation. How's that happen? Through the death of the king on the cross. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. They still serve him day and night. And look, words for the concubines right at the end. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. All those verses from the New Testament have looked to the cross, the resurrection, and the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Basically, that's what David could never do. He hadn't made that journey from highest heaven to earth and under the earth, to rise and ascend as the Lord Jesus did. The Lord Jesus alone is the one who can restore the kingdom. You see it in its fullness in Revelation chapter 7. Briefly, don't overestimate what an earthly government can do. Which earthly government is going to deal with lingering guilt and shame? Which earthly government is going to bring full, perfect justice? Which earthly government is going to avoid the inevitable demise that we're heading towards? Which earthly government can really deal with the sadnesses that life brings? And which earthly government can bring the kind of unity that we see in the heavenly gathering. Now, I'm not saying don't get involved in government. Do. Do good. Get involved. But don't see that as the solution to our deepest needs. Um, don't underestimate 
the greatness of Jesus' kingdom. Don't think that your guilt and shame are such that there will be at least some of it that lingers on. None of it. Don't think that there'll be some small corner where justice is not achieved. That won't happen either. And don't think that, I mean, death will be removed. And every tear will be wiped away. There'll be no more sadness or crying or mourning or death anymore. And there'll be a unity in relationship between us and God and us and one another that we just cannot even imagine how good that will be. Where there is no brokenness whatsoever in any relationship. Don't underestimate the greatness of Jesus' kingdom. And don't underestimate how attractive Jesus' kingdom can be for people today. Do you know anybody else who labours under guilt and shame or has been betrayed and is still struggling with it? People who are sad, people who don't know what to think when death comes knocking. People whose relationships are such a struggle because they're so broke. Do you know anybody like that? Do you not think, I mean, David might be quite attractive because he can kind of bring a stay of execution or a partial restoration of things. Imagine how attractive a Jesus is to people in our world. Because the kingdom of God is better than some earthly things. The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace and joy. And this kingdom cannot be shaken. So let us be thankful and worship God, obey his king, serve his king, with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Uh, I'm going to stand you up. Uh, please stand as the musicians come. One of the great joys of having uh, the King, the Lord Jesus, as we do, uh, that we can come to him with anything. And he knows how to deal with it. There's nothing which we cannot bring to him. There's nothing which we cannot confess. His death, resurrection and return will make all things right. Right.